0: just a heads up everyone that we recorded this episode on thursday october 21st and we were going to publish it on friday october 22nd but i got busy moving to miami because yeah that's what happens sometimes in life you gotta take care of other logistics and so we're not actually getting this podcast published until uh today tuesday october 26th so a few of the references that you'll hear about me uh moving to miami or any sports related references Uh, or that you'll be seeing this podcast on Friday the 22nd might be a little outdated. Uh, I know you won't mind because it's a great episode coming up with Robert Walker. So just ignore some of those reference dates that are a few days past due and uh, sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee, uh, and enjoy the pod. Good afternoon, everybody, or morning, uh, depending on where you might be located. I am your host, Mark Thomas, coming to you from uh, Southern California for the last time. uh, Officially moving to Miami this Saturday. Uh, I was just back here for about a week, picking up the last few of my uh, belongings, and uh, will be officially in Miami permanently starting this weekend. Uh, So, uh, you should be getting this podcast about a day before I uh, am uh, moving. Uh, We're recording this uh, Thursday afternoon at about 1 p.m. Pacific. It'll go out uh, in the morning on Friday. So, uh, happy Friday to everybody out there. Uh, I've had a really fun week uh, sports-wise. Saw the uh, ring ceremony for my Bucks and uh, the banner unveiling in the rafters at Pfizer Forum. wasn't there in person this time, but I was, of course, there in person for game six, which everyone is probably second started of hearing about now, but too bad. Uh, and uh, so it was awesome. And of course, the Bucs proceeded to throttle the Nets and uh, excited for their chances to repeat. I have to say, interestingly enough, like I I am almost even more hungry for another title uh, than the first one, which was uh, the first last year, which was or this this past summer, which is the first one in my lifetime. Uh, now I'm getting greedy and I want a second one. Uh, and then uh, the Packers have hopefully should be an easy game against the Washington football team uh, at home at Lambeau. And then their schedule gets really tough. They got to go at the Cardinals, the Chiefs, the Rams, at the Vikings. Um, So, got to get that uh, easy win this Sunday, uh, move it to six and one, and then maybe hopefully split over those next four games and go be eight and three heading into the final home stretch. Um, I predicted they'd go 13 and four. So, I'm still on pretty good pace for that. All right. So, uh, with that all good and out of the way, I am excited to welcome uh, today's guest to the podcast. Uh, It is Robert Walker from US Bookmaking. How are you today, Robert?
1: I'm doing great, Mark, but I was just going, I was about to correct you. And when you said 13 and four, then I forgot they played 17 games. <laughs> uh, yeah. 17 which games we love, by the way. What uh, was that? Which we love, by the way. We, we hated the preseason and always wanted them to add, you know, one or two more games in the regular season. So, But everything's going great. Yeah, you know, here's the interesting
0: thing. I definitely think they should have cut down the number of preseason games too. Um, but I would have liked to have seen it stay at 16 for a few different reasons. But of course, you know, money talks, right? And that's the most important thing. And uh, there's no way the owners are going to give up any preseason games in uh, return for uh, no additional regular season games. And it's really probably only a matter of time before they settle in 18 games. Um, if nothing else, they're going to settle 18 games just so they have an even number of home and road games again. Uh, because this year the NFC has an extra road game uh, compared to the AFC, which at the end of the day is fine. But the fact that the Packers' extra road game is at the Chiefs is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Although That's the Chiefs right. may not be, Chiefs may not be as good as, as the last two years are. so maybe it's not as big of a deal. But um, yeah, so uh, exciting to uh, to chat with you. So uh, I think it's always important to kind of ground ourselves in some context, get the audience familiar with you. Uh, and who you are. So if you could uh, tell us a little bit more about your background. You've done a lot of things, having worked at uh, uh, MGM Resorts International, Mirage. Actually, Mirage is my favorite uh, uh, casino to go to, and that's where I uh, stay uh, when I go to uh, Vegas. Uh, So pretty cool that you work there. I would love to hear about your experience there, and uh, of course, at U.S. Bookmaking. Um, so yeah, just uh, feel free to walk uh, our audience through kind of what your background is and you know, what you did at MGM and what you currently do at U.S. Bookmaking.
1: Uh, yeah, So right now at U.S. Bookmaking, I'm uh, the Director of Sportsbook Operations, but basically that's the same job, Mark, I've been doing since, you know, really, not, um, oh, this is really going to age me, but, uh, you know, the mid-80s, uh, late-80s. So I started at uh, Boyd Gaming, working at the Fremont in 86, went to Samstown as a, a sportsbook manager. Uh, took over the Stardust in 1991 when we were the you know, there was no internet uh, per se back then. So we were literally the opening line in the sports book industry. So we would set the opening line, you know, and then everybody would copy that line the next morning. Uh, I went to the Mirage in 96. Uh, Bellagio opened just shortly after that. MGM Grand bought the Mirage, I think in maybe early 2000s. Uh, we became the MGM uh, Mirage and then we bought the Circus Circus properties uh, a couple years later. And so we had really 13 sports books uh, running. We were running up to 13 sports books, a couple in Reno as well. Uh, some in Laughlin. So, um, and then I left in uh, 08 because uh, I wanted my daughter to go to school up in Washington state where I went to school, high school. And uh, when she finished high school, I hightailed it back to the sports book industry because I was so bored. I couldn't watch a game. I can, it's hard to watch a game if you don't have, you know, rooting it, uh, you know, interest in it. And uh, so I came back and went to work for Genting. We opened this sports book out in the Bahamas. Uh, I did that for about three years. Then uh, Vic uh, started U.S. bookmaking and, uh, you know, I came back and worked for Vic and uh, that's where we've been and been making great strides uh, uh, in, the, in the five years that we've started. Of course, PASPA being repealed is, was the impetus to move forward and, uh, and we're having a great time right now. That's all I can say.
0: And what and, uh, does so exactly U.S. bookmaking do?
1: Well, we basically manage uh, sportsbook operations for we're basically a B two B white label, so um, you wouldn't really know that we're behind the scenes, but we do everything from you know odds creation uh, to game creation, basically everything in a life uh, time cycle of a game. So we set up the event, we monitor, we we put up the lines, we we move the lines based on your play at each different book, and it's it's a little bit different than the Mirage when we allocated. So we didn't care if the bets came from you know Mirage or MGM Grand or Mandalay Bay, but here we have to treat each book independently because we don't allocate. And they, you know, so if we take a big bet at one property, we have to move it specifically there. We can't take a bet back at a different property. So that makes it a, a little little bit more challenging. Um, but uh, and then we obviously uh, monitor the risk uh, post uh, the games once they're over, and then start up again each day. And uh, and so we have a couple platforms. We have. Uh, uh, right now, we're using Stadium, which is a GVC product uh, at most of our properties. And as you know, uh, we just got acquired, so we're using their uh, platform in a, in another jurisdiction. But basically, we just, you know, we do the same thing that we, we've always done. It's just that if we lose now, we don't get paid, as opposed to when I worked at the Mirage, I still got paid on losing days. So it's a, it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so you're a true entrepreneur in that sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we, it's, it's interesting because you know, it's kind of the offshore model, right? I mean, they offshore for years, you know, they had to make all their money off the sports betting and that's, you know, they didn't have the casinos behind them or anything else where, you know, a person beats you in the, in the sports book, but they go, out, they go and lose it in the pit, uh, the table games or the slots. And and that's how we are now. So it's kind of come full circle. And I, I actually like this better. I, I like, uh, I like that we stand on, you know, how we do in the sports book. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of what we do. It's what we feel we're experts at. And, you know, if we don't make our clients money, we don't deserve to get paid. So,
0: right. Yeah. And that's really the thing, right. It's all about, um, it's all about, you know, pay for performance, right. You know I mean? And that is, that is the true entrepreneurial startup life, uh, which, you know, I've been living for the last, you know, whatever, uh, 16, 17 years that, you know, if, uh, if you're not able to make a profit and if you're not able to generate revenue, um, you don't get paid. Right. And so it's the same kind of concept. So, uh, first of all, we're going to have to get u.s bookmaking on the zen sports instead of stadium uh but we'll, we'll save that we'll save that topic for a separate day um but uh i mean i don't know if you saw it, but we just got our uh, nevada gaming license uh, a couple months ago um
1: that's zen phenomenal sports. congratulations that's, thank that's you really
0: great thanks that was a uh, uh, absolute bear of uh, of work uh involved with that but uh, uh we got it done and we're excited we're gonna be launching there in the next month or two um it's interesting on our end, uh, you know, we are pretty much direct to consumer focused here in the U.S., but we are we are looking at some uh, interesting white label deals uh, with existing operators internationally outside the U.S. So we we originally started international, then we moved to focus direct to consumer here in the U.S., uh, and then at some point, um, I think you know we'll uh, we'll have some international in interesting international. B2B um, opportunities there. So it's interesting. And that's actually going to be kind of my next question to you is, you know, how have you seen the technology side of this industry evolve? Because, you know, I mean, it went from, I remember, uh, you know, in in the mid 90s, you know, you had some online offshore sports books, just as the internet was getting started and uh, like intertops and some of those companies. And of course, now, I mean, sports betting is legal in 32 states here in the U.S., uh, and you've got really robust, great betting products that are out there, both, you know, direct to consumer and the back, back of the house, uh, back office type of solution. So um, since you've been, you know, in the industry for quite some time, what is, what is your perspective on the change in technology over those years?
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I mean, even though even the stuff that you're seeing today, I think it's going to pale in comparison to what we see, you know, a year from now, two years from now, I, I think every day it's getting, it's getting better, quicker. Uh, you know, I look back at, you know, when we first started, you know, we, we had, you know, regular rotary or whatever you dial up phone accounts. Right. And, uh, and then, uh, then we went to, uh, you know, when mobile phones came out, we had the, the technology was so bad that you had to get a beeper. We had to give you a beeper because we knew that a beeper could only go, you know, 20 miles. So you couldn't be in California and make the wager. So we'd beep you with a code and you could call back in. So it, it's. It's and then what that did, Mark, is we, you know, because of that, we weren't able to take in-game wagers, uh, you know, right. all the derivatives and props that we had. We really only did, you know, what you're seeing on a daily basis on every single game is really we only did that on the Super Bowl. You know, we put up, you know, 100, 200, 300 props, and, you know, now it's some people put up 700 props, whatever it is. But that was just the Super Bowl, and uh, and now you're seeing 100, 200 props on every single game. And while we don't know that you need that many, uh, I think in this competitive environment, if you don't have them, you know people will migrate to the places that do have them, just just in case. So then there's there's new things coming up like in-game wagers and, I mean, same-game parlays where, you know, it's correlated, but we can figure out a price for you. And uh, so it's it's all being really it's it's all data feed driven. Um, so it's really, I think the next frontier is 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 not necessarily the platformers but the data feeds I think the data feeds will start to weed themselves out and, and um, when I say data feeds I don't mean uh, the time of the game and the score of the game I mean that the algorithms that figure out the price of the in-game right. uh, number I think that's really where we're headed but man it's 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 really exciting as a bookmaker to see these uh, kind of to play with this and tinker with it because this is a whole new age for us
0: Right. It's really interesting because with Zen Sports, we also got an information service provider license in Nevada. And what was interesting about that was we didn't kind of have that intention, but it just kind of happened as we went through the process. And as it started to happen, I think we had the same revelation that you just did, which is like the future of, of sports betting is in the data. And I wanna take that a step further and get your thoughts on this too. Like, you know, a lot of platforms, you know, ban sharp action or they drastically reduce the liquidity that you can bet as sharp. Wouldn't it be interesting if the betting operators could kind of, from a data perspective, stay one step ahead of sharp. So, I mean, cause like one, one big problem right now with sports betting, I'll just give an example and I'll turn it over to you to get your thoughts, is the just, the the change so quickly of uh, how information can come out, for example, like on social media. So, you know, five minutes before tip-off, Budenholzer sits Giannis for whatever reason, although Giannis almost never sits. Um, and of course that obviously impacts the uh, line greatly, uh, as well as a bunch of other bet types. And somebody on Twitter sees, um, you know, inside, uh, reporter, you know, quickly report it. Be the first to reporting that, and so they jump on the existing line. Whereas the sports book is slow to move, right? And so, wouldn't it be interesting if if the if the books and the operators could you know get that in real time as well too? And so, I think that's just one example of where it would be nice to see things head, so that it, you don't have issues of people feeling frustrated because they get banned or liquidity reduced. It's just it's purely you know, everyone has access to the same information, right? So there's real-time information, there's transparency, um, and that's just purely, um, you know, a knowledge, you know, a, you know, a, a, a skill, right, at that point. Um, so what are your thoughts on, like, the, you know, the timeliness of information being disseminated to uh, to books versus the, the players?
1: Yeah, I think so. That's, you know, obviously back in the day, we were, we never got the information as quick as the professional players. I think now we get it nearly as fast, if not as fast for the reason that you just said, we have people monitoring Twitter and, and, and we, and I think the other thing uh, Mark is we're really quick to take games down now where back in the day, we, you know, we were very reluctant. We put it in the limit one, but now we, if we see something crazy, we just take it down and then we put it back up five minutes later. Right. And, and it's usually always an injury. Um, coronavirus has kind of changed a little bit of the way we book, I would say, because um you know, the last year and a half, two years, it's been coronavirus, you know, somebody's out because of coronavirus, or, uh, you know, a coach is out or something like that. So, but I, th- I think, so our, our opinion is, is, and I, and I know it doesn't uh, set well with everybody is we don't want to ever kick out a sharp player. Uh, and there's many reasons. Uh, one is, uh, we want to know, you know, what side they're on. And that's how we think you get to this, um, mystical m- uh, market number, right? That everybody wants. Uh, we don't think you can get to a market number uh, by booting players. Uh, and then the second reason is, is the, the pro players uh, will tell you where your weaknesses and deficiencies are. So, and then I think it's up to you if you're paying attention to short those up. Right. So if that's uh, you know, if it's, if, if it's a data feed issue, they're beating you because, you're at three and everybody in the world went to four and, and you're trading automatically and, and you're sitting there at three for a minute. Well, that's on you. That shouldn't be the, the pro player's fault. So you need to shore that up and, and figure out why that is. And obviously there's some latency uh, issues that have to be addressed, But I, I think if you, I, I look at pro players and I do think you have to manage them though. I, you can't let them bet 10,000 on a NBA game. You, you don't want them to de- dictate your fate, uh, on a particular game. So the limits have to be, uh, where they, you know, it's worth a bet to them, but it's also you're using them as information. But I look at the pro players as a data feed, you know, you have to pay for a data feed. You're basically paying a certain percentage. Um, I mean, nobody really gets mad about paying two, 3% for a data feed, but yet if you lose one or 2% to a pro player. You're, you're up in arms about it. Right. I just, I don't, you know, and then that's you know keep in mind that's one to two percent to them that's not one or two percent of your overall handle which it is with the data feed so I, I think that's kind of a misnomer I just think it's it's how you it's how what what do you use these guys for and uh, you know I've been in the business for since like I said since the mid 80s and uh, they, these these players some of them have beaten us consistently year over year and we you know we have a few players that when they come in and bet, Especially a future or a prop, we know we made a mistake or there's a mistake in the line. So, you know, it's just, it's just for, it's up to us to make sure that, okay, they got us this time. How are we going to shore this up? What are we going to do? Do we need to adjust our limits? Right. So, those are all things that you have to do after the fact. But it's, it's, and then I think that's, that's this whole game of sports betting. And, and the technology's helped, uh, but the technology's also helped the pro players. You know, they have bots and they are able to identify, mm-hmm you know, weak sports books and books that move slowly. And I think it's worked both ways, but I I just philosophically uh, we don't ever want to kick somebody out unless there's reasons, you know, KYC, you know, they're circumventing title 31. I mean, obviously those would be the reasons they're structuring bets, whatever, but just to bet. And because they're beating us, you know, it's up to us to make adjustments. It's no different than a football game, right. Or a basketball game. You have to make adjustments, you know, if you're getting beat. And I think, I think these guys, uh, and I don't like them all. I can tell you what I don't like a lot of them, uh, and I know they don't like me. Uh, but I think it's a battle, and I think that they they give us a lot of inside information that uh, that we have to have. But I, you know, our, the goal is. I think eventually, Mark, and you you may agree or disagree, but if we if we continue to to boot players out, uh, I think that you know the at some point a fed the fed will get involved or the regulators and, and now we're gonna we're gonna put it in the hands of people that don't really understand what they're regulating and i think that will be more hurtful than us to take you know a 500 bet from somebody that may beat us uh, in the long run so um, you know i look at it like a stock market you know you don't you, you know a stock broker would never say listen, you're making too much on Apple. You, you can buy other stocks, but we don't want you buying Apple anymore. I mean, the, the, think how ridiculous that statement is. And yet that's what we're doing in the sports books right now.
0: Well, and that's also an argument for having more of a, you know, kind of a, a marketplace model. It's again, part of something we do with end sports. We offer the book and the marketplace piece um, so that you're just taking the rake. You don't care who wins or loses. But what I think is interesting on the sharp action is, um, exactly what you said. It's a way to improve your data, hundred percent. It's a way to improve your shortfalls. You should almost look at it as as a QAing expense on the development side, right? I mean, it can be a, you know looked at in that way, and then on the and then it can also be looked at as a, a marketing and a PR expense, right? Um, so it's a marketing expense because you know you're you're going to spend money in promotions. You're going to spend money, you know, uh, bringing people in and deposit bonuses and comps and all this other stuff. You know, uh, sure, maybe you don't want to always go to the same few people, but, you know, those people go out and tell others and, you know, hopefully that promotes word of mouth. And then also uh, from the PR side, um, you know, prevents kind of PR issues, right? I see on Twitter all the time, sharps with a lot of followers and complaining about the books that limit them or ban them. And guess what? You know, your regular average player sees that, right? And they go, well, I'm going to stay away from this because if I get good enough, I'm going to get banned. Um, and so, or whatever it might be, they just say it's bad customer service. Right. So I think if if it's done properly and if it's not too extreme, it can absolutely be looked at as um, you know, as a business expense on a lot of different accounts and um, doesn't have to be looked at as this, Oh my God, I got to win every, I gotta, I gotta ha- have an advantage over every single player that walks through my
1: doors. Yeah. I, well, you're on the same page as us. And we think, uh, we think there's a, a, you know, a market for what you're talking about is for a peer to peer and a, and, you know, I, I, I think the evolution will ultimately, and I know a lot of people disagree here, but I think ultimately, and I don't know what that timetable is, is that it'll all be peer to peer at some point. I mean, yeah. the, I think, I think the bookmakers run is done and I feel good about that because I look back at some of the mistakes I made. Um, I think we left some money on the table, you know, and we, when and we did really well, I think comparatively speaking. But, uh, you know, I, I always liken a bookmaker to a jockey on a horse, you know, if you're on the best horse, you can only hurt the, the horse. I don't care what jockey you are, you know, just let so, you know, for every time a jockey, they say had a great ride and the horse won, I think there's, there's a million other times they had a terrible ride and they were on the best horse and it didn't win. I, I feel the same way about bookmakers. So, but having said that, I, I feel like, you know, you still have to be able to, you know, it doesn't have to be a bookmaker, but it really has to have somebody with a good understanding of sports book to uh, betting to understand, you know, what they're looking at. Because if you look at data feed issues and you look at bettors who are beating you and everything else, you have to understand what, why and what, right? And, 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 you know, and the how of it. And if you can't understand that, then, uh, because I feel like some of these books are being run by marketing people, not, you know, people that know sports betting. And I think that's the problem because it's very easy just just to say, listen, kick out these three guys instead of saying, "Here's the problem, here's the fundamental problem." Let's fix this up, and right. guys won't beat us as much. And if, and if they continue to play, and the thing about it is, and this is the reality is, um, especially in, in at at the retail level, every you know they're anonymous. So if you kick out, let's say you were the, you know, Mark is the sharp guy with us on you know online. Well, somebody just signs up that's betting exactly what you're betting, you know, and then it takes us a few days to find out that they're the new mark. Right. So um, I, so I, I just, I just, you know, it's to keep your enemies, your friends close, your enemies closer. I, I feel like that's the, the just here, but it's really just getting a basic understanding because they're always going to be um, I, I, I want to get one step ahead of them, but I don't know that we ever will. I do think if we can get just behind them where we're just shoring up every you know, weakness that there is patching every hole that they uh, show exists. I think that that's all we can ask for. And I, and I think that's what our responsibility is, but this, this notion of bookmaking, you know, and, you know, I'm gonna, you know, you know, I'm responsible for these bets and everything else. It's, it's just, it's antiquated. It's, it's a Nevada type of uh, situation, but uh, mm-hmm. I think that day, and maybe I'm saying that cause I'm older and I'm not fucking for a job anymore, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think there was a time when you, you always thought, Hey, I, My opinion was always like, I don't want to say too much because if they know what I do, then they'll get rid of me, you know, but so you just want to have this, you know, mystery about what, what it is that you exactly do. But all you really do is you move the, you know, you try to stay on a market number uh, as best you can and then move it when you get a play. That's, that's really the, that's really bookmaking in a nutshell. And the key is, is getting to the right number, uh, or I guess that would be as close to the number as you can possibly get as fast as you can get and as efficiently as you can get. So if you can get there for $500 to the right number where everybody can bet both sides, you know, that's much better than getting there for $10,000. And uh, it's the same thing, Mark. And, and, and I'm sure you see this in the peer-to-peer, but if, if a game goes from two to four, let's say on, on a football game, you don't want your biggest bets to be at two or four. You, you want your smallest bets to be at two and four. So, uh, uh, I guess, uh, uh, so you don't want the plus. You don't want to take the most money at plus four and the most money at minus two, is what I'm saying. So, mm-hmm. if you can get there, you know, cheaply, if you can, your 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 smallest bets were at minus two, uh, and your and your next smallest bets were minus two and a half or three. Then that's then then you didn't do any damage to get to four. And mm-hmm. uh, I think if you look at any game, that's kind of. But if you took the biggest bets at two, uh, and it goes to four, uh, you're you're gonna you're not gonna win you're just not going to win uh, in the long term on straight bets. So yeah, uh, still may do okay on parlays, but not on straight bets.
0: Well, everyone does well on parlays.
1: <laughs> yeah. <it's just> parlays <laughs> Parlays are something you just, you know, you take it and you just, you, you can't worry about it. Right. There's nothing you can do. You can't, we can't control who they bet, how, what kind of combination they bet. You know, it's just, it's more of a, a fun way for players to bet a little bit, to win a lot. And you just let them play. And, but hopefully you're doing that mark at the right number. So if, if the numbers two. Once again, you don't want all your parlays to be at minus two if the game goes to four. And uh, so it's just trying to get to that right number, which you never know until after the game starts, by the way. You don't know that right number until it's kickoff or, or, or tip off, you know. So but it's just trying to get to that right number and doing things properly to get to that right number. And I think there's a lot of ways we're working on now, you know, that'll help us get to that right number quicker, uh, cheaper and uh, and, you know, time will tell.
0: Yeah. Now the interesting thing too, I've always, I've, you know, just found, you know, in, in operating a book is um, just the, mid, the middling that goes on, right? What you just said. So if it goes from, you know, minus two to minus four, you know, you get people that were at hundred bucks on minus two, and now they go, um, you know, take uh, the opposite side of that bet, uh, you know, at plus four or hundred bucks even money, you know, the same amount of money, and now if it hits at three, they make they win both. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's another problem, too. And so that that's going to be my next question is, you know, our next point is like, isn't it really silly how drastically the lines can move? I mean, it just opens it up for middling all over the place.
1: Yeah, I think I think what you're seeing is uh, and the games don't seem to fall as much as they used to for whatever reason, because I know our biggest losses historically have been getting middle. We got middled on a on a game that fell 12 one year and we lost, I think, 800,000 on it. And, uh, I was going from uh, and I didn't skip 12. I was going from 11 and a half to 12 to 12 and a half to 12 to, uh, and it fell 12 and uh, i think we lost like 800 and it was they went for two at the end and didn't really need it because there was only like a minute left but you know it was the right move right but didn't get it and uh, so I, I think you're seeing now is 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 you know and I've obviously offshore's done it Pinnacle's done it for a long time but you're seeing you know I'm looking at some of our games where you know we're at six six and a half minus 15 you're seeing a lot more eight minus 15. You're seeing a lot more uh, moving the juice than you are uh, people going to eight and a half. And I think that's just, I I think there's a couple of reasons. The one is obviously the parlays don't pay as much, right? If you're laying a dollar 15, we don't have a pay chart. So everything's too odd. So the parlays that they're playing, which they're we're heavy on those teams that are shaded, you know, minus 15. uh, But also you're not worrying about a following. So you even eight, which, used to be kind of a, a, a dead number for the, but there's no dead numbers now with the two point conversion. They're just nothing dead. So, you know, nobody wants to take a bunch of money at back at eight and a half. Um, it, they'd rather take it back at eight minus a nickel or eight mu- even money. So I think you're seeing that a lot more. And I believe that we were the first ones to do that. Actually, we, we started going to three minus 15s and three minus twenties and, and, you know, six and a half minus twenties at the Mirage. And I remember getting calls from other bookmakers saying, Hey, why are you doing this? You know, it's uh, and we, and customers too, by the way, Mark, they would say they didn't realize it was still a 20 cent line. You know, you're, if it, if it was a six and a half minus 20, the other side was even money. Right. So uh, we had to explain it to them, but uh, you know, we, we, we would tell those guys, listen uh, you do this for the Super Bowl, So what's the difference? The difference is, is the amount of money. It's not the math, right? So the math is still, it's the right reason to go to six and a half minus 20 because sevens, are fairly critical obviously anything around three in the nfl is critical so going to two and a half minus 20 and three even money and, the, and let me tell you how we figured this out too mark so we went we were at two and a half um a pro would lay it for thirty let let's say and we'd go to three and then that same pro would take the plus three so they, i mean it, right. it, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the value surrounding these numbers are are substantial so then what we did is we went to two and a half minus 20 and then we went to three even money you know minus 20 on their side so this was kind of evolution and, and once again we weren't smart enough to figure this out ourselves if we were smart we you know, you know bookmakers on this side because we have you know we have a built-in advantage otherwise we'd be on the other side if we were really smart or really good you know so we we're on this side for a reason so we figured it out and the same reason how we figured out games that were fixed i mean basically people would come up to us and basically say hey by the way i'm fixing this game uh i want to bet as much as i possibly can on it and i don't care what you move it to uh and i'll bet it again i mean they basically hit your head it hits you over the head with a sledgehammer and you so it was pretty easy to figure out so but i think that's part of it but i i you know when i was in genting you know we uh we did lay off with uh, offshore um betting exchanges be honest so we were able to take six figure bets routinely and then lay them off now there was a learning curve there as well but it was a way that we could take much larger wages than we than we would have otherwise uh during that time so we we've always been a big proponent of of a betting exchange a betting exchange perhaps to lay off um i think there's a lot of ways that a betting exchange. and i, and I certainly think uh if the wire act is ever repealed i i i think a betting exchange is is an absolute home run and i do believe there's still a place for the traditional sports books but uh you know the more liquidity the better obviously because liquidity is the best friend of a of a peer-to-peer betting exchange site
0: yeah well so a lot to unpack there so first of all i believe the wire act is on its last legs um it just i mean we're at 32 states now that have legalized sports betting and while i do think it's a little bit similar to the cannabis situation where so many states have legalized cannabis but the federal government so it has it as illegal, but but they don't enforce it. Um, I, I don't know if it'll quite be that, but I I, I think in the next two three years, it's got to be strongly looked at. That it's just uh, it's just going to cause too many headaches, and I think there'll be enough lobbying uh, to to get it repealed. And all you do is point to thirty two states have it legalized. You're not you're not stopping sports betting. You're just literally taking antiquated law that was built at the time of phones um, and, uh, you know, bank wires and getting rid of that. And even nowadays with all the KYC being done in bank transactions, you know, you just, again, it's just antiquated. Right. So I, I don't see a, I don't, I don't see what, you know, usually those types of things. Like I, I know the, I mean, if you kind of think about it, the reason why the federal government is probably not wanting to, you know, repeal marijuana, of you know, federal, the federal ban of marijuana is because you know maybe they just want to kind of uh, uh, you know reduce kind of the, the trade of it, if you will, or or keep it at the state level. Uh, but in the case of sports betting, all the sports betting operators are licensed. They're all operating within the state. Uh, and eventually, if you get to 47 or 48 states that have it, then it's all the states that are literally right physically next to each other can be done, you can just drive across the border and do the same thing. So the, the back end pooling of bets to not be able to do that makes zero sense, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. So that was written in Mark when I was born, it was that law is from 1961. Now yeah. imagine how much things have changed since 1961 it's 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 so archaic it's it's, it's, right. you know, it's just and, and and for those in our audience
0: that don't know what the wire act is basically it means you can't have a bet uh place that crosses state lines right so you can't like the old the old the old notion of the bet was you know you they wanted to reduce <clears throat> the mob's rule of being able to uh you know accept bets over the phone uh so you know if somebody's trying to run an illegal book in new york Uh, taking a phone call from somebody in New Jersey, um, you know, the whole point of that was to, you know, uh, eliminate that capability. Um, And, but with the way technology is now, uh, and it actually is helpful to legal operators to be able to do more pooling um, from a liquidity standpoint or otherwise, um, or risk perspective, as you talked about, there's just, there's just no point. I mean, the technology is already there to allow basically it anyways, um, so it really is, yeah, it's completely archaic. Um, it's got, it's gotta go. And hopefully there's enough lobbying dollars put behind that to, uh, to make that go away. Um, but yeah, no, that's an interesting point that you going back to the, the middle and concept of instead of changing the line, change the odds. Right. I mean, so, uh, you know, instead of giving, because the problem is if, again, if you change the the line, then, um, even if you don't have the same person walk in, or you don't allow the same person to walk in and place the same amount of an equal bet on the other side of it, they can always get a proxy, or they can always find a way around that, or whatever it might be. Um, and a lot of the books have pretty close to the same lines anyway, so they can just go to a different book. Um, whereas if you just change the line, you know now it's you're really discouraging them from you know going in uh, checking out. Maybe you won't get as much future action on it if the line's been changed, but you know at the same time you're reducing risk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that it still comes back to the original argument is if you're, if you're taking too much money, if you're worried about getting middled uh, to get to the right number, right? So if you, you, if you're, if you took $500 to get from two to to two and a half and another 500, then whatever to get to to four, well, you're not worried then about getting middled, right? But if you took 30,000 at two, and you took 30,000 at plus four, and you took nothing at two and a half, three, three and a half, or you know, whatever to get you to those other numbers. Well, then, then, then you've made a mistake, and you have to adjust your limits. We we have this, you know, uh, discussion with our partners on what their limits should be. And really, you know, I, I always use the illegal bookmaker um, analogy, which probably is not great. But I, you know, if you if you're booking to all your friends and your friends bet twenty dollars, right? Every all your friends, you got you have the most friends in the world. You're uh, you have a thousand friends that bet consistently with you, and they all bet twenty dollars. You're not going to give. You know, a sharp player two thousand dollars on a game because the, the, it doesn't matter what your friends do at that point. It just matters what that two thousand dollar player does. And I think that's the same thing that's 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 clear at every every place. But then you have some of these books that are taking half a million dollars on half times, and and you wonder, you know, you wonder what exactly you know is behind that. Now they could be a great casino player, right? There's a lot of, of factors, or they just want the publicity of taking that large wager. But then You see, they take a half a million from this person on a halftime, but then this other person is betting it can only get $33 on on a game. So I I I'm I'm befuddled by the whole thing, but I'm sure that it's passed me by that part of it. I, I don't get, you know, like I said, I think this is really a simple business at the end of the day. It's it's mostly for recreation, it's you know, it's for fun. It's you and I want to watch a game that that maybe we're not fans of. You know, you're a fan of Wisconsin teams, but if you're watching You know, if you're watching the Dodgers, you you may not like them, but if you put ten dollars on it, then it becomes like going to the movies, and and it becomes fun and 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 exciting, right? So, Mm. I think that's at the end of the day, that's what wagering is all about. But you get these conflicting uh, messages from everybody, and Twitter is one of them. You know, you, you listen to the sharp players, who you know who have a vested interest in seeing that they can have outs, right? So, you know, one of the things that drives me insane was. You know, this WNBA total a few weeks, a couple months ago, were, the WNBA All-Stars were playing the Olympic All-Stars, right? And and they put up the wrong total because they thought it was a regular exhibition when they didn't realize there's going to be play. But the Wise Guys were the first two bets on this, apparently, and drove the price up, right? So they're trying to get everybody to open that worst number. Um, so those same sharp players then complain about the limits. You know, you can't have it both ways, Mark. You can't you can't try to screw the, the books over and then bitch about your limits, you know? So, um, so that, so that, that tried, that drove me insane. You know, I, I would, those are the people that bet that over to start with. Uh, I may look at kicking out, you know, cause I don't need those guys. You know, the people that spin us and, you know, when I say spin, they bet the wrong side, hoping that everybody follows you. And then they bet the other side. That's fine. You can do that, but you get to do that once. And then, then I'm done with you, cutting your limits back and, you know, because they're trying to manipulate all the books. So I just, I, they can't have it both ways, you know, bet whatever side you, you want to bet, that's fine. But, you know, don't try to put us in a position where everybody's getting spun and then complain about the limits down the road. So those are the, you know, less than, I would say less than desirable uh, players that, uh, that are out there and they're out there. There's some mm-hmm. big names out there that, you know, uh, that, that try to do this and then claim they're, they're your best friend on the same on the same uh call so it's just you know but it's it's, like i said it's just it's a constant battle Mm. and i you know i always say you can't be friends with these guys but you can be friendly right and and they they're professionals and we're professionals and like i said we can still utilize them uh as best we can but it's 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 definitely a battle that i enjoy every day I, i i love getting up and going to work and you know to me it's like playing chess i feel like they're playing chess and i'm playing checkers at times but it's still it's still fun to battle every day that's awesome so switching to
0: another topic within the sports betting industry uh marketing and customer acquisition so uh amy Howe, the the new ceo over at uh uh fanduel uh she came out a couple of weeks ago and basically just said for all intents and purposes the marketing spend uh that all these operators are you know spending money on to acquire new customers is totally utterly beyond out of control. I mean, uh, you know, they're spending a billion dollars a year, basically 20 million bucks a week to acquire new customers. And you can't even turn on any sporting event nowadays, which, without seeing, you know, 30 different ads uh, for it to the point where like Colorado's thinking of uh, reducing the number of ads that are allowed uh, for sports betting products. And Caesars has like a $5,000 free play bonus now. And uh, I mean, the, the bonuses are out of control. What are your thoughts on the marketing and the customer acquisition spend that's been going on? And what do you see uh, as the future of that?
1: Yeah. So just Mark, make sure that I'm speaking for myself and not our company because sure, you know, why, when I say that I'm against it, our company will do 10 ads on uh, Colorado (laughs) television. So uh, now we don't do that. We obviously are. um, We just don't think so. We don't think you can make revenue. So we don't think that, that a company that continues to spend this much money can uh, generate revenue. Uh, the cost of acquisition—it's not just the cost of acquisition markets, but it's the retention cost, right? right? Yep. So you're buying the retention cost, and I—I th- I think, I believe to think that people that stay because of your retention bonuses will continue to stay is—is—is—is is, 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 is I, I don't think is prudent. Uh, so I understand that there's a lot of publicly traded companies that that are adhering to this because their valuation is basically tied on to their acquisitions. But uh, you can also see that a lot of the companies are not making money. Uh, we do believe that there'll be some consolidation. We think, when I say we, I, I think the uh, FanDuel CEO is spot on. I mean, if, I think if as an outsider, if you came in and looked at these numbers, you'd say, well, what, what are you doing? You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. So um so I, you know, I, we're hoping that as, you know, it's, it's a very, every market is, is new and immature, right? So as, as it gets more mature, we think people will migrate to, towards the better lines, the higher price payouts on a daily basis and not necessarily, you know, migrate to the places that are just giving them money. Because, you know, just so you know, like in Colorado, we know people that are making tons of money with those bonuses. You know, they're just, you know, there's websites that tell you how to, you know, bonus hop Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's, it, like I said, it's not complicated. This is just not complicated. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you have to have a a really good platform. Your platform will be your best retention, right? If you have everything on there that, you know, and and that we're, that we're hoping to bring, we're not there yet uh, with our mobile app. We're working really diligently on it and hopefully by you know, the first quarter of next year, we'll be in a position where we have what we feel is the best or amongst the best uh, mobile apps out there. But at the end of the day, we think pricing and all that's going to win the day. But, you know, we, you know, you know, you hear all these things like race to the bottom and everything else. But, you know, I, you know, the one thing that I will say though, is, you know, we never really had to do this in Nevada because, you know, like you said, you stayed at the Mirage and and so, so the, the reality is you you know, you go to the Mirage, not necessarily just for the sports book um, you go for the, you know, the restaurants and the shows and, you know, in the in exploding volcanoes and everything else. So there's a lot of reasons to go to the Mirage or Mandalay Bay or, or, you know, Aria um, that have nothing to do with the sports books. And now we're in an environment where it's just the sports book, right? So we have to, you know, how do you get the name out there? How do you, how do you get the people, but we're all fighting for that same player. Everybody wants the same exact player. Nobody wants the sharp player. Everybody wants that same exact player. So, you know, there's always a dollar cost. So, you know, what is the lifetime value of a player? And if you overpay for that um, and then you have to win on top of that, right. So you have to, you have to win as well. You're so you're buying the business and then, and then um, and then hoping that you, that you win as well. So I think it's a very, Um, I think it. I guess I would say, and I'm definitely not a marketer, but I think it's short sighted. Um, And I think it's just, it's really the wild, wild west. And I think it'll retract. And I think FanDuel already said that. Um, And I think the operators that go in there and try to overspend won't be around very long. They just won't. Uh, They'll either get gobbled up and maybe that's what they want or, or they'll, they'll go under. You know, and that's, that's, the, that's the way it works in this industry. And so I think that the, a lot of books are just, you know, holding back, waiting to see where, where this lands and then trying to work on their platforms and ultimately, you know, have the best platform with the most offerings uh, and the most customer friendly, uh, you know, environment and then, you know, get their fair share, but they bring that revenue to the bottom line instead of it going back out. So, you know, I always said that some of these platforms You know, the worst thing that can happen to some of these platforms, Mark, is if Texas, you know, uh, and California opened at the same time. I don't know that they have enough money to continue this acquisition and and retention policy with that many uh, potential customers at once, you know, so... They need a slow rollout. Let me put it that way.
0: Well, what's interesting there is, is, you know, as, as publicly traded companies, you know, generally they have access to kind of unlimited amounts of capital, um, you know, or, or other forms of uh, capital, whether it be debt or, or, or otherwise, um, which certainly is a benefit of of being that large and being public and, and all that good stuff. I, what I think is interesting is like, um, you know, a lot of the technology focused ones, like DraftKings and FanDuel and everything like that, you know, they they definitely kind of follow the same uh, blueprint as a lot of other tech companies, like Uber uh, or Airbnb, which had losses, and I think Uber still might even have losses. Um, it's still not generating a profit, but and in fact, Amazon isn't even still. But there's obviously so much capital and so much money; it's it's fine. They can they can get away with that. I think part of I I think part of it is um companies realize like that there is just such a big pie uh you know to to go after and so they just will go after that pie at at all costs but the problem i have with it which you touched on a little bit is the retention like we used to do uh deposit bonuses uh with Zen sports and we changed it to a, a welcome bonus that's based on your play in the first two weeks and then we also have loyalty bonuses based on your play after the first two weeks as well too. So basically everything that we reward customers on now is based on loyalty, is based on volume, is based on play. It's not just, hey, come do a free bet and check this out. I mean, every, you know, it just doesn't do anything. The retention on that is like 1%. Um, and so it's it's much better to reward loyalty and and performance if you want to call it that, pay for performance, than it is on hey, you know, just come in, just try out our platform. Um, I think you're going to get people to try out your platform anyways. Um, and you can do other creative marketing, uh, to do that. Uh, but the problem is, is it's going to take, uh, you know, more than one company to stop offering the bonus for that to finally go away. And then of course, just one company starts to offer it again and boom, they'll, they'll come back. Um, so you're right. Hopefully there's just learning lessons that the quality of the customer that comes in from a, a deposit bonus or a free play bonus is just not, it's just, it's just not worth it. And people are just going to bonus hop, um, you know, at least like when you get the offers for checking accounts and bank accounts, there's a pretty big pain point to like go and sign up for a bank account. You got to go in the branch, you got to sit there for an hour. Like there's enough friction to the point where people will just say it's not worth it. But to sign up for a mobile sports betting product, not that hard. I mean, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy. Well, Robert, this was a, uh, really, really, super interesting uh, and very, very insightful conversation. Uh, loved it in a lot of different ways. Um, I mean I think our audience is gonna you know really uh, get some very, very exciting and interesting tidbits out of this and uh, get educated on all the inner workings you know behind the scenes of not just a bookmaker but on the technology side. Uh, and so yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. You were awesome, uh, great guest and uh, excited for uh, everyone on the ball and chain podcast to to check this out.
1: Mark, I really appreciate it. Any any time, and and good luck with your venture.
0: Thanks so much, Robert. Have a good day. You too.